Okay, Rabbi Sai. <clears throat> we are back now after a few days uh, off because of the uh, Hanukkah schedule. And now, being Zeis Hanukkah, we are resuming the Chavisavavis here, Sharaknia. We're in Perikhei, the Hachamishi, the five, the fifth one out of seven, which is a uh, seven items which Chavisavavis is addressing here in order to help a person acquire, at least in an easier way, acquire the trait of humility. And he spoke about a lot of different things when he interacts with people, uh, he thinks about people who are sick, that is a humbling thought. When he thinks about the day of death, that's a humbling thought. When he thinks about, has he really fulfilled all of his obligations to Hashem in the way it's supposed to be, that could be a humbling thought. And now Vachamishi, something a very interesting, a novel approach from Rebbe Zavavis. Vachamishi when we think about the greatness of the Almighty, and His tremendous strength and power, the one who always is looking, on both what is visible from a person, in the actions that he does, in where he goes, in what he sees, in what he hears, everything that's visible about a person, which most, even human beings, could sense that and observe that about somebody else. And certainly HaKadosh Baruch Hu, certainly Hashem sees that. But not only that Hashem always looks down at every person when he's doing, but Vinistori. Hashem also sees beyond the external. Hashem sees exactly what's going on in the person's mind. Hashem knows all of the motives that is behind the person's actions. So a person thinks about this and says, wow, like, does Hashem really know exactly what I'm doing at every moment and what I'm thinking at every moment? Is that so? So how do we know that? Sort of, what, what are the steps to take to be able to inculcate that idea, to be able to really solidify that idea in our mind, which we know intellectually is true, but how do we get it to be the feeling that that is true. So it says Chavasavav is like this. What a person should do is he should take the heart. This exalted matter of Hashem's omnipotence, omniscience, that he sees and knows everything. How do we know that? So we use an analogy. That there were many great pious individuals. Shahiyabadiris throughout the generations. And there were many great people throughout the millennia who the we see the extreme power that they had and the ability to manipulate other people so we just didn't have to then take it step by step by step until we get to Hashem Himself. So let's start at the bottom. This is what he means to say is, like we find in the Gemara, there was, uh, Gemara relates in the end of Masech, this Brochus, about Rav Sheshis, who had this, this uh, interaction, this 
dialogue with a tzaduki, a, a heretic, and the person became very audacious at the end, extremely chutzpedictor of Sheshis. The Gemara says, Nosan ain of boy. Rav Sheshis laid his eyes on him, and immediately he turned into a pile of bones. This was child's play for Amoiroim like Rav Sheshis. He doesn't give a whole list of cases and stories like this in the Gemara. Just to mention another one, the Gemara Daf Yud. The Gemara tells us that Rebbe, and Antoninus, the emperor of Rome, had a very close relationship. Oh, backstory why that relationship went on. They were switched as babies. Antoninus' mother took Rebbe for a bit, and Rebbe's mother took Antoninus. So Rebbe's mother nursed Antoninus, and therefore later in life he had this thirst for Tyra and was able to learn. And they used to have a secret tunnel that they used to go back and forth to one another and Rebbe used to teach Antoninus Torah one condition of this secret clandestine meeting was that no one is allowed to come with Rebbe no. one day Rebbe comes to the meeting and Rav Hanina, his Talmud is there so the uh, Antoninus gets upset he says we had a deal you're not allowed to have any people so uh, Rebbe thought quickly and he says, ah, this, he's not a person. He is a malach. He's an angel. He says, an angel? Yeah, he's way beyond. So Antoninus says, yeah, don't fool me. He says, listen, there was one of the guards that accompanied me along, and every day he had to bring guards, and he had to chop the head off before he left because he didn't want them to know either. He says, the guard that's outside laying there dead, tell your angel over here to go out and revive him. So Rebbe tells Rav Hanina, go outside and resurrect this person. And that's exactly what Rav Hanina did. He goes outside, he resurrects the person. So Adelinus was certainly impressed, and he says, listen, the truth is, I know even the smallest amongst your kind, your Talmidim, could resurrect it. And they're able to be Mechai Mason. But still, a deal is a deal, don't bring enemy with you. So... The Gemara is not telling us just nice bedtime stories. The Gemara is trying to describe to us that indeed the Amoiroim, Rav Sheshis as he's quoting here, Rav Hanin as the Gemara there quotes, had the ability with, without, without even blinking an eye to be able to do Tchiyas They could resurrect the dead. They could kill, like over here. He laid his eyes on him and he turned into a pile of bones. Rabba, the famous Gemara in Megillah Davzayin, Rabba and Rav Zayra shared a Purim Suda together, Rabba became drunk, and he killed Rav Zayra. The next day he woke up, he says, hey, where's Rav Zayra? What did I do? So he davened, and he brought Rav Zayra back to life. And then there's, there's countless stories like this. So these stories just depict the, the sheer greatness and power and ability of Mortal beings, human beings, but great Talmidei Chachamim, the sages at the times of the Gemara. The truth is, we have these stories that go throughout the generations, even as recent as a few hundred years ago, and even a few decades ago. And there's still people around like this. 
I share a story with you just that uh, we had a speaker over Hanukkah in the Kail over the Zoom, and he said a, he said another fascinating story. Here, but the Ribnitz Rebbe, the Ribnitz Rebbe is a Rebbe who came from Europe, from Russia, and he came to America. And the uh, remaining part of his life, he was here in America, lived in Muncie. Very, very holy Jew. And he used to daven at uh, interesting times of the day and night. So one one evening he's ready to daven Marev. It's, it's, it's sometime two or three in the morning. He's ready to daven Marev. No. Uh, I mean, he's not alive already for uh, close to 30 years about. And, uh, you know, go out to Muncie in two or two, three a.m. We're going to find the minion. Oh, but they start looking around. The guy starts looking. Did you daven? So he asked the person, did you daven Marev yet? So the person really davened already. But he figures, listen, I can get into the Ribbon Tzarebbe, you know, maybe he'll give me a bracha, he'll give me a blessing. I'll say, I didn't daven yet. Okay, come, you're part of the minion. Anyway, they gather nine people, and they tell the Rebbe he can come out of his room. The Rebbe comes out of the room, he looks around, he said, we don't have a minion. They said, no, Rebbe, we have a minion. No, we only have nine. He says, Rebbe, we have ten. He says, that guy davened already. Everyone was aghast. How did he? So they looked at him. You davened already? I actually, I, actually, I did daven already. So they asked him afterwards. They said, "Weren't you embarrassed? Like you were caught red-handed? You know, the Rebbe knew exactly that you had davened." See, so he actually said a beautiful thing. He says, "Actually, I feel so good about it." He says, "I daven marv every night. It takes me about seven minutes from beginning to end, and I always think." What am I doing? Does anybody know? Does anybody notice that I dive a marv? I mean, does even Hashem pay attention to my marv, which is in seven minutes flat? But I see now that the Rimnus Rebbe himself noticed and knew, obviously from his greatness of mind and spirit, he knew he, if, if it means something, obviously it was noticeable on me that I dive a marv, even the marv that I dive in, obviously it's something special, even such a marv. Good, very nice story then it's a, a beautiful point. But here you see even people as, as recent as uh, a few decades ago. Certainly the Arizal was known and the Arizal's Tamidim were able to look at a person's face and know what he was thinking and know what he did. Know even which sin he did. You go back in time, that's just, we're talking about 400 years ago, the Arizal. You go back a thousand years ago to the Rishonim. You go back 1500 years ago to the Amirim. It was clear that they had this this power. Says Chavis is one more example. Vamru will go back a little bit further to Tanoim, the Tanoim, the, the sages of the Mishnah. Vamru was the greatest of the Talmidim of Hillel Azokin. And it said about him, that when he was learning Torah and expounding on the words of Torah, a bird flying over him. While he was learning, the sheer greatness, the holiness, the fire that emanated from his learning burnt the bird flying above. That's what it is. Or the the Yerushalmi uh, Chagiga, which is quoted in Taisus over there in Chagiga Tezvav, that by the bris of Elisha ben Avuya, they were waiting around. And, uh, you know, bris doesn't start on time always. So Rabbi Yezir and Yeshua says, listen, everybody's just schmoozing on the side. Let's go over to the side. We'll learn a little bit till they start the bris. Then if they start learning together, all of a sudden a, a fire surrounds the whole house. So Avuya comes out. He said, what are you doing? You're burning my house down? 
So they said, oh no, we're sorry, we're, sorry. we're just learning Torah together. And when you learn at this level, it's like in Sinai and Messinai. It's like when the Torah was given the first time at Harsinai and the Harsinai was surrounded by fire. So we're talking about, even though these are mortal beings, but the heights of greatness that they reached, they're able to kill people just by looking at them. They're able to resurrect people just by davening. They're able to, by even not, and not even having in mind to affect any creature, the fear, the sheer greatness of their learning was able to affect this bird, unbeknownst to Yenism and Azil. So the Chavis Havavis says, these are just at the level of Tanoim, Amiroim. He says, Ve'ain Safi. There's no doubt. That's without question. Shemalas Hanavim, Lamalamim Alosam. And you go back to the times of the Nevi'im, the prophets. So you're talking now before the second base Amigdash. Because in the second base Amigdash, second temple era, there was no Nevuah. There was no prophecy. But in the first base Amigdash, the last three Nevi'im were Chagai, Zechai, and Malachi. They lived at the end of Bayes Rishon. So we're going back now, more than 2,500 years ago, to the first base Amigdash, 3,000 years ago. Okay, so this is beyond our comprehension of what a Navi was like. We wouldn't be able to stand in the presence of a Navi. I mean, Yonis and Azil, when he learned, he burned the bird flying overhead. We would try to talk to Yonis and Azil, we would, we would burn to a crisp, we would melt. Okay? It's not possible. So we're talking to Navim, it's, it's beyond comprehension. But if you build it up like that, and the Chavazovs would go even further than that. These are, these are Chachomim, these are Chasidim, these are Tanoim and Amiroim, and the Nevi'im were much greater than them. Now he says, V'timsa Nevi'im, and if you go back to the prophets, When a Navi would interact with a Malach, a real angel, he says they would bow down in submission. They would be totally weak. They would lose all of their senses and power when they met a Malach. Now they had the ability to interact at least and talk to a Malach. Now, Yaakov Avinu, we know, he wants to send messages to, to Esav. He calls some Malachim and he says, do me a favor, go tell my brother. <laughs> That's Yaakov Avinu, he's one of the others. Uh, Avram Avinu had Malachim in and out of his house on a regular basis. But the Nevi'im, we're talking about way beyond Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. So when they met up with a Malach, he says they became t- totally uh, weak. From, their, from any power that they have when they met with a Malach. So, you think about that, then you take it even further back. The Nevi'im bow when it comes to a, a, an angel. And an angel? So now we just sort of get some inkling to the greatness of a Malach, a real Malach that flies around and sometimes comes to this world in the form of a human being, but it's a malach. And you find in the, in the, in the books of the Nevi'im, in the Tanakh, that the malachim, when they would go before Hashem, they would come before Hashem, they would tremble, they would bow in submission, everybody bows in, in a way of subordination and submission to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like it says, Hashem says, even the malochim are, are, are considered nothing when it comes to being in my presence. 
We'll have to expand on this a little bit more next time, but just as this is getting a sense of when we're trying to understand, get a glimpse of the greatness of Hashem, because that will give us a sense of how small we are. We don't even have to start with a Baruch We start with great people, and we see how great they are. We just move it back up the up the chain, and we see then how small and humble a person really has to be. Well, hold it here. I good night and I good Shabbos.